caucus episode of Political Party Live. We are really, really excited to be here today. Thank you so much. Give it up for yourselves for supporting such a wonderful effort. I would like to say thank you to C-SPAN that's uh, going to be carrying our podcast live uh, to a national audience. I want to thank the Graduate Hotel for being so accommodating. Everyone who works at the Graduate Hotel has really helped us out to be flexible and kind of roll with the punches. So if you order food or you get drinks, be sure to say nice things and please tip your servers and tip them well. I'd also like to give a shout out to our media partners at Little Village. Thank you all so much. This effort would not be possible without the help of our producer, Veronica Tesler, and our awesome core of volunteers that we have with us today, and our sound engineer, Sam Alexakis, and a host of other individuals who helped make this happen. So thank you all so much for powering this project for the people um, and, and keeping us inspired to bring uh, political programming that is free to people all across the state. So thank you very much for making this happen. So I want to get started here and introduce um, my co-host and partner in crime to my far right, Simeon Talley. Everyone say hello to Simeon Talley. What's up, everybody? Simeon is an entrepreneur. His uh, space, the Maker's Loft, is just across the Ped Mall here. He worked for President Obama's campaign and reelect campaign and has been doing a bunch of badass projects across the state of Iowa. Simeon, so nice to do another episode with you, brother. Welcome again, Simeon Talley, to the show. Thanks, Stacy. Can you guys hear me okay? This is good? Cool. Okay, and we have an awesome treat for you all as well, a, a few awesome treats. But I'd like to introduce to you our special guest co-host, and I gotta read her bio, but uh, as we get on with the show, you will understand why she is so wonderful to have. I call her the Poet Laureate of Iowa, but um, I'll read uh, a bit of her bio for you. Akwi Inji is an award-winning writer and spoken word artist, communications leader, and PK-12 community relations administrator. She was a 2016 Iowa Arts Council Artist Fellow, and as founding executive director of The Hook, she produces live creative storytelling and performance poetry events, including Drop the Mic, The Living Room Series, We Are, and Art Loud. She performs throughout the country and has appeared on stage for NPR's The Moth and with authors such as Saul Williams and Sarah Hollis. She most recently collaborated with Emmy Award-winning composer Stephen Kahn and will headline at the 2019 Wine Country Spoken Word Festival. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Akwi Enji. Hey, everybody. Good to be here with you. I just have to say, it is, it is an honor to join you, Akwi, and a passion project of mine, and I'm, uh, you know, I got a chance to look at the questions that you have, you've written, and I got to say, this is, just, this is just a special treat, so thank you so much for joining us. It's a special treat to be here. Thank you. <laughs> right on. Okay, we're going to get to it, because I know uh, you guys are anxious to hear from all of the folks we have coming to you. So as you know, what we try to do here at Political Party Live is highlight the work of uh, people doing really good work uh, around here in the state and around the country, and I have the great opportunity to bring uh, to stage uh, here in a bit 
two awesome women who are doing really good work in the human potential, human capital space. Uh, the first individual I will bring to the stage is Shante Thurman. Shante is a DNI talent strategist who partners with emerging tech startups, digital health, innovation companies, and venture capital firms throughout the US, helping them attract, retain, and engage top talent. Her interests are full-bodied Eclectarchus Horse, a next-gen consultancy helping the workforce and organizations expand upon the intersections of four domains, radical inclusion, the future of work, emerging technology, and health, well-being, and human potential. She's also a contributing writer at Future Rhythmic, a new digital publication powered by Nokia that explores the implications of emerging tech in addition, she serves as a trusted advisor to a handful of small businesses, social impact organizations, and early stage startups throughout North America. Shante is also a native Cedar Rapidian and graduate of the Washington High School in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Shante to the stage. We'll also be joined by Rada Yovovich. Did I say that correctly? Close enough. <laughs> Rada Jovovich is a deeply collaborative and creative business professional focused on innovation in healthcare, delivery, emerging technology, diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, and maximizing human potential. She is the co-founder and co-host at The Darkest Horse, where she plays a vital role in building their interdisciplinary consulting practice. Rada began her career at Huron Consulting Group on their healthcare consulting team and spent nearly five years at Athena Health in data science, operations, and product roles. She went on to consult a handful of health tech startups such as NowPow and MetaCypher, and most recently led the growth strategy team at Oak Street Health. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Rada Yovovich. All right, ladies, I will ask the first question. <laughs> what is the darkest horse? Hi, can you all hear us? You gotta speak louder. He's flipping the script on us because we have a podcast and we usually we're the ones asking the questions. <laughs> so, saying that. Um, you know, have any of you ever heard of the dark horse? Raise of hands, just wanna kinda see. A dark, ho a, a dark horse. In a race, it's kind of fitting oh, for, yeah, for tonight, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Cory Booker might be a dark horse, uh, right? Let's make some noise for that. The darkest horse. <laughs> but a dark horse is somebody who enters the race and you maybe didn't see them coming, right? You were too worried thinking about the thoroughbred in the race, and all along this person's been in the race and they've been standing there, and all of a sudden you got to race them and they win, and so it's a huge upset. Um, and we like to kind of think about that energy, uh, and and when we're out here working with people, we want to see all the dark horses win, which means you have to do a few things. We're going to get into that tonight, so we'll revisit that later. Rowdy, do you have any other thoughts about that? I guess one thing that I'll add is uh, that really what we're celebrating here is that every single person has a darkest horse in them, right? And so it's really about identifying what is that thing about you? What is the thing that maybe starts out looking like adversity and ends up being your superpower? And how do we capture that and turn that into your sort of unique competitive advantage? And if we can have everybody sort of zoomed in on exactly that feature, then their team turns into an unbeatable team, right? If the darkest horse is in each of us wins, then we all win. 
Thank you. Awesome. I love it. So, so tell us a little bit about what you do. What's the 101 on what you do with The Darkest Horse? Sure. Yeah, so the, the idea here is that the pace of change is sort of faster than ever, right? We all kind of hear this every day that like things are changing faster than they ever have before. And when we look forward to what the workforce looks like in the future and what successful companies look like in the future, you have to sort of be on the cutting edge of emerging technologies and uh, flexible environments where you can capture really the best parts of the best talent and figure out how to leverage them optimally and keep them. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're working with companies to figure out how to do that. It turns out that the, being able to be on that the front of that wave actually is being very inclusive and is celebrating that diversity and is capturing all those dark resources. Uh, so that's what we help companies do. We like figure out how to bring them into the future um, and leverage all of that skill. Sim? Yeah. Um, Shantae and Rada, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I think that we're living in a political and cultural moment where the stories and the narratives and the perspectives of a lot of folks and communities that have been historically left out, uh, not only are their stories sort of emerging, but they're demanding and creating their own spaces. Um, they're creating their own platforms to get their ideas and their stories out into the broader world. Um, but still we know that there's so much further we have to go. You talk a lot about radical inclusion a lot of us are sort of familiar with the need to be more inclusive, but what is radical? To be radically inclusive, what does that mean specifically? We, we chose that word, I mean, radical, because for instance, when we say radical, we're talking about getting down to the root cause of, of this stuff, right? We are focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. We love talking about intersectionality uh, and, and identifying, as Rada was saying, sort of the, the things that make us different and celebrating those and then harnessing on that uh, energy and, and trying, to, trying to make sure that everyone has a voice at the table. So many times we see right now, especially in technology, this is a huge, a, a huge issue. Um, and it's not enough to just say we want diversity because that's, that could be this room. Inclusivity would mean that people got invited and they actually showed up. Accessibility would mean, did you make sure that it was you know, for everyone, all, all bodies? Right. Are, we, are, we, are we optimizing for people who cannot hear? Are we optimizing for people who cannot see? Um, and, and equity, uh, making sure that it's fair and just and making sure that you're doing that consistently. So, oh, go ahead. So I, I, one other thing that I like to highlight when we bring this up, I think something that actually Shantae has really highlighted for me is the shift that we are kind of making toward this idea of tribalism um, and that like people really kind of cling to what their identity is, they find their group, and there's a lot of safety and comfort in finding a group of people that align with you in some sort of element of your, your identity. But that that's sort of, the, the more that, um, that leaders start kind of leaning into that, the less, the narrower their band becomes, right? And that we really have to, it becomes a radical act. And when we say radical, we sort of mean challenging some of those fundamental paradigms, breaking some of the mental models that funnel you into that narrow tribalism vision um, and break those, those models and sort of shift back into this sort of radical inclusion of bringing in all the voices and really kind of maximizing how they come together into a stronghold. So you work with so many companies who get to the point where, um, 
They're, they understand the importance of and are eager to invest in radical inclusion. What would you say are their top three challenges towards really improving things? I would say, um, first of all, it's usually money, believe it or not, uh, because they haven't allocated their budget appropriately to think about this. This is sort of a, a hotter topic. And so many times they're saying, well, we have about $5,000. And to me, that's a, a strong indicator that you're not taking it very seriously, because if we're talking about the human capital that work at your company, and we're going to get rid of saying human capital, we're talking about humans and their potential, then it's worth it, right? We want them to be healthy when they show up to work. We want them to be engaged, because we already know when we do that, your business does better. It just doesn't make any sense to not optimize for that. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Sure, yeah. One thing that also we've been talking a lot about is um, that one of the interesting things when you start a business, uh, and you know, this is especially a piece of sort of startup culture, right? Is you have, uh, if you have two co-founders like me and Shante, uh, you tend to sort of pick a co-founder that overlaps with you a lot, right? You pick somebody that you're okay with spending hours and days and weeks on end in very close quarters and working really closely with. And so there's this tendency toward finding somebody who actually is very similar to you. Um, and so what happens then is that you're building an entire system where you know it's easy because there's low friction because you're having the same ideas and you agree on them. Like every time an issue comes up, you both have the same idea. And so you can kind of be very quick and move forward. But what that the like con of that is that then you're creating you know two points make a line right and so you're creating this sort of like rule and pattern already just in the first two people and then every person you hire from then on mm. falls into if you make it a culture fit they fall into exactly that same pattern and before you know it you have an entire organization that is that is homogenous in some way. It, it may not necessarily be skin color or gender or things like that. It could be ideologically. But at any, in any way that it, it shows up, it ends up being a limiting factor. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that we see a lot, is that leadership finds people that are like-minded um, and that we're trying to really kind of teach them skills and techniques to, you know, you can keep that strength that is in that overlap, but you can you can show them where the like power actually is in expanding yourself to including other perspectives and other voices. And, and I would say the third one, you know, on top of that is usually time, because it doesn't matter if you're a startup um, and or if you're an established company, we just have so much time to meet and outside of the work that we're going to do. Uh, so I think it's about teaching people that they can have these opinions and these um, activities and, and um, initiatives in and outside of work, mm -hmm. right? Excellent. Making it more comprehensive yeah. and integrated into your life. So, uh, you know, you are doing so much great work around inclusion, human potential, um, and, you know, as my co-host Simeon uh, indicated uh, earlier in the show, we're kind of at this moment where, um, in American history where, uh, shall we say, there's a lot of division between people. Um, a lot of it's being driven um, from people at the highest level of our government. And so culturally, how do we, how, how can your work be applied uh, to where we are as, uh, uh, as a society, right? So how do we get back to helping people understand why uh, diversity, inclusion uh, matters, why it's important, and when we help them understand that, how do we move forward in this work? So how do we take what you're doing as a business and apply it to society? That's a great question. And so I think 
one of the things I'd like to talk about is universal human-centered design. Has anybody in the room ever heard of that? Human-centered design? If it's not, you, if it's not universal and it's not human-centered, usually you're gonna go back and make iterations to whatever it is that you're selling, whether that's a software, a product, a service. So in, in regards to the government, really, we are their business. We are their constituency. We are diverse and we need more voices to be included and we need more equity and, and accessibility to the things that the government is talking about and doing. Um, I, I think that politics is everyone's business. And I also think that we, um, as, as citizens of this country, have a right to be in those, in those forums. Um, and if we're not really cognizant and putting that at the forefront of our mind, it, it usually is sort of an afterthought. And when we see it show up later, as a manifested uh, you know, issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, the, or the perceived pushback I think you'll hear from some of the corporate and the C-suite types uh, to being more uh, diversifying their businesses or their workforce is that I just, they just don't see the, the talent in the pipeline or there's a, there's a pipeline problem. So as best you can or as best you're willing to share with us, when you're having these meetings with some of these folks, uh, most likely they're older white men, and they said, you know what, I would love to hire this person, or I would love to do this, but you know, I don't have the talent here, or I don't have enough qualified applicants or, or people to do this. What's your response to that? Bull crap. <laughs> 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 um, this is actually why we started The Darkest Horse. So, I so I'm a headhunter by day, and most of my clients are emerging tech companies or digital health startups around the country. And this is exactly what they tell me. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had talent in front of me that have two master's degrees, sometimes a PhD, and they're not getting selected. And then I have somebody who's literally two years out of college, turns out that they get the job because their dads are friends. And I'm just, I, I'm dumbfounded every single time. Or when they tell me that my, that my female candidates can't get hired because they're at childbearing age. Mm. And these are things that are literally, I'm, no, I'm not lying to you. They have been told to me verbatim on the phone and not in emails. So I think it's very pervasive. It's, it's not only happening in, in startup country, it's also happening at some of my established uh, clients. I, I couldn't believe it, but what I will say is, in response to that, I went out and I started to basically do field work and talk to everybody I could and just say, you tell me what's happening whether it was a, a, a candidate that was looking for a job or people who were in charge of those hiring initiatives. And so what we've been starting to do is build lists. So whenever somebody has a response like that, we send them a list. Literally, we have public lists out, you can find them and say, I, I don't think so. I also have a group of women that I talk to, especially in um, healthcare startup world. We have gotten to this good habit of, of keeping everyone's name who want to be a diverse speaker and a picture, everything, and every time they say, oh, we couldn't find somebody for the conference, we email them the list and say, and here's 10 people who would do it. I think one other thing, my other response, um, other than profanity, is, uh, <laughs> is like, where are you looking, right? Because I actually, dark horses sort of run in herds, right? And like, I, I, I think that there's, there are huge populations, huge, commu huge communities of every type of talent that you could possibly want to access, and they are all together, 
right? And if you just go to the places where they're all showcasing themselves, right? There are like LGBT community groups, there are racial and ethnic community groups, there are gender community groups. Like there's, there's all sorts of places that you can go and tap into these talents and they're divided by degree. You can even pick what flavor you want, right? And so it's the idea that there isn't any place to source this talent is, is it, it, what it means and I think what it signals to us is that um, they don't have the right people in their corner saying, I know where to find those people and they're over here. So speaking of flavor, um, it, 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 to a certain degree, it feels like diversity and inclusion is the flavor of the month or the year, so to speak. Yeah. How do you um, help companies understand, and maybe especially in the world of healthcare, mm -hmm. how do you help them understand exactly what some of the, maybe the measurable, you mentioned that you know, a more inclusive workforce is a better workforce. Well, mm -hmm. what are sort of the measurable um, things that you can point to that would convince somebody to say, okay, it, it's not yeah. something that just feels good, but it's something that I can see an impact in my business. Yeah, it's actually pretty easy. So there's all these research groups that have produced research studies that we can just distribute, right? That have shown, you know, like I think there was a Harvard Business Review research study like two years ago that showed they kind of created um, heterogeneous teams and homogenous teams and gave them the same very quantifiably measurable outcome related task of like deciding what the price of something should be. And there was the, the, the like, delta between the precision and success of those two teams was like unmistakable, right? Then there's study after study that just shows how these kind of groups, and, and they kind of attribute it to the idea that like if you have to work through a problem, then you actually get to the right answer, right? If you both have the same idea at the beginning, it might not be the best idea. And if two people have different ideas, then they have to actually talk through why each idea is good. And they may even like land on a third idea that's neither of those two ones, but because they had to work through it, they got to that point. And so there, that's like, there's just, there's tons of data on that front um, from like an internal team operations piece. And then also secondarily, there's a bunch of other research that's been done around appealing to consumers. Um, and that if you can capture uh, the markets of all of these other folks by having the representation showing that this is a product for those people with them in mind, either visually or because the actual result is something they want to use because you have those people, a diverse set of people giving a voice on what it looks like and how it works, then you actually, your consumer base improves, right? And so like those are two of the pieces that we often point to. Um, as showing the kind of return on investment that happens with diversity. And, and I would say as it pertains to healthcare, right, and we both have this healthcare background, um, a great example would be that the, the, the trans community, for instance, right? Mm. If the gender marker is simply not on the, the ER paperwork, you, you miss an opportunity. And in regards to money, right, in terms of like revenue cycle management, you have to get that right, otherwise that person's bill gets denied. It wastes everyone's time, and then it's really embarrassing for that person. And likely, if that's the case, they're not gonna come back and, fill, and, and finish up the, the care plan, which costs the hospital money. And at the end of the day, if it's, a, if it's a nonprofit hospital, we as taxpayers pay for that, right? So it is our problem. Um, and who here doesn't need healthcare at some point in time? So these are things we wanna just see. We wanna see better human-centered universal design so that if you walk in the room, there's a space for you. Um, and a, a, another really great example of this would just simply be your race and ethnicity. I can't tell you, I'm, I am biracial, um, but 
many times I've filled out things and there wasn't a box for me to fill. So guess what? I didn't fill it out. So whoever was collecting that data had skewed data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So we're running tight on time, as always, and I always feel like we could talk for hours with our guests. But you all know we'll be sitting down with, uh, here shortly with a candidate for president. So I got to ask you all, in your roles, if you could chat with a presidential candidate about an issue that's near and dear to your heart, what, what would you guys talk about? What would you bring up? So Shante and I were obviously talking about this on the way here. I, Cory Booker has uh, a bill that he introduced in April that's called the uh, Algorithmic Accountability Act. And it's really focused on giving the Federal Trade Commission the power to hold companies accountable to the ways that bias shows up in their code um, and their algorithms that they build either internally for their operations or for their, the people that they serve. This is a huge thing that Shantae and I spend a lot of time. We both have a background in tech, um, especially in health tech. But uh, the ways that when you have a coder, a developer writing the code for an algorithm for a, pro a program, they're gonna, whatever is their sort of like predetermined assumptions, whatever their unconscious biases are that they're not even aware of, are gonna show up in that code, right? I think we talk about the trans inclusion in healthcare and healthcare services is a huge place. Rada, can you give us an example of that? I've, yeah. I've heard you talk about this before, but can you make it plain for the people Absolutely. like me who aren't coders in the Absolutely. room? Absolutely, yeah. Well, what does so that mean for the bias? One example that we talk about, thank you, yeah, is um, I don't know if any of you guys heard about the kind of controversy around uh, the Google face recognition um, software that happened I, actually a few years ago. And it was like recognizing faces as faces. Um, but when a black face was uh, put into the algorithm, it identified it as a gorilla. That is a direct result of the kind of uh, unconscious bias that was put in by whatever coder was programming faces, right? They only thought to program it for light-skinned or white faces. And when it got to a dark face, it thought it was an animal. That's, that's a problem. You can imagine how that would show up in technology in a lot of ways. Um, the other thing that, that Shantae was talking about that I've done a ton of work on is trans inclusion in healthcare services. And the idea that if you build all of your templates in a doctor's office as only being male and female, and that, that gender or that, that sex marker is actually linked to what they were assigned at birth, anybody who has anything outside of that sort of like, I was assigned male at birth and I identify as male, doesn't have any kind of templates, doesn't, there's no system for that. And so it's really hard to provide the right kind of healthcare services for folks that are outside of that sort of simple binary, which we know there are huge populations of people that don't fit that model. And so then their option is either to risk the getting wrong healthcare or to just opt out and not get healthcare at all. Either of those is a, a pretty unfavorable proposition. And so those are the kinds of things that I think I would love to hear any presidential candidate sort of weigh in on. And you know, to, to circle back to the first thing you said, Rado, here, here's a really interesting thing to think about. Have, have you all heard about autonomous vehicles, the, the autonomous you know, movement that's happening? It's making its way here. I think Chicago is actually one of the smart cities that's, that's um, on, on the, the list of places that will have this autonomous um, opportunity. Here's the issue. If you're not coding for the diversity of the population that is living in that city, if it comes to something like 
they're, they can't see dark faces and there's a car and a car driving without a person in it, they could hit that person. They could kill them. Mm. And so who's responsible for that? We want, that's what we want to hear and we want to, we want to find um, opportunities to talk with, with the political candidates. We hope that you will do this on your podcast, Stacey Simeon. The Algorithmic Accountability Act. Okay. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> the emerging technology is the infrastructure of the fourth industrial revolution. It's going to impact us just like politics, just like education, and just like healthcare. If you're not aware of it, I implore you to start doing your research now because is there's not a citizen in this country that this will not impact. So before we get out of here and take our intermission and hear some really awesome music, um, I gotta ask to change subjects completely. You can, you can tell us what you're either reading right now, what you're watching on Netflix or Hulu, or what you're jamming out to on iTunes or Spotify. Hit us with that. Lizzo. Ditto. Okay. <laughs> Body positivity and self-love. We love that. Yes. Shante and Radha, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.